From the wheat fields of the Thumb to the cherry trees on the Third Coast, Michigan grows more than 300 different foods and products that we all enjoy every day. We're on a mission to find every local restaurant, manufacturer, and food company sourcing their ingredients right here in the mitten. And in the process, bridge the gap between the farm and your fork. We want to introduce you to all things Michigan agriculture and food. This is Michigan AF. Welcome back to the Michigan AF podcast. In Michigan, we are incredibly fortunate to be the home of the pioneer land-grant university, Michigan State. MSU is known for a lot of things, but you may not know it was the first agricultural research college in the United States. Research in agriculture still remains a vital piece of what the university does. And today we're going to chat with Dr. Angel Abuelo, Associate Professor of Cattle Health and the Dairy Extension Veterinarian. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Abuelo. Oh, hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I really want to begin by hearing from you about your background and what brought you to MSU. Yeah, so my background, I'm originally from Spain. I was raised on a dairy farm, so obviously my family had strong ties to agriculture. And from a very young age, I obviously loved animals and particularly cows. So I decided to go into vet school. So I did all my veterinary training in Spain. Then after graduation, I went one year into private practice in Spain. And after that, I kind of, during vet school, I got exposed to research. So after spending like one year in private practice, I really realized that there were a lot of questions that still needed to be answered and that I would like to do that. So I went back to uh, school for more years and decided to do a PhD and a clinical residency back there. So that's on my uh, training during that time. I spent a lot of time working not only in Spain, but also in Germany, so across Europe, in Germany and in the UK primarily. I was fortunate enough that after I finished uh, my PhD. I I landed a faculty job in Australia. So I moved down under and spent that for about three years until the opportunity to come and join the faculty here at MSU came. And yeah, so here I am. I've been here for almost six years now. One of like the main reasons, and I really don't regret the decision, what I make the move was really like the strong ties that the university and the state had to agriculture and particularly there in the strong support that there is. And that's something that really I've been seeing and continue to observe every day, how everything, everyone really works together. And there are like a lot of very useful collaborations across campus and with private uh, farms, the, the veterinary practitioners on the field as well. So it's a very collaborative industry. That's wonderful. Well, we are very glad to have you in the state of Michigan and at MSU. So as you mentioned, you have studied and worked in Spain. Uh, you also, I know, did a stint in the United Kingdom and in Australia. So what have you found to be kind of some of the major differences in agriculture from those countries and the United States? Yeah, that's a, that's a really uh, interesting question. Obviously, there, there are like a lot of similarities as well, but also like some of like the key features that are different, particularly with regards to the area is their, their production system. In Spain, for example, like the region where I'm from and where I'm working, we have like a lot of very small 
farms and i said like small in comparison to like the size that we are used to in michigan or in other like dairy states in the u.s so for an example one of like my family's dairy farm was we were milking about 150 160,000 we were like the largest um farm in the county so which probably for Michigan standards right now will be considering like a uh, relatively small compared to like some of the very large dairies that we have so you know part of that is like the scale and obviously there are a lot of like challenges associated with them in both um, I guess that the UK I was working in Wales so it was like a mixture between the US system which was similar to what we had on in Spain, which all, was all like confined dairies and tea and total mixed ration cows. There was like a mix between that and pasture-based systems. So that was like my first exposure. And then Australia was really challenging for me for someone that had done all their training on um, free stall barns and everything. And then was suddenly put on a system which was like 100% pasture-based. And there were like a lot of things so in terms of like management of animals. You still have like the same, like the physiology of the cow is the same, the diseases are the same. They just, because of management, they sometimes present differently and other things that you don't really take into account. So it was a really mind-opening experience and being able to really think on your feet when you're like working on a farm because it's not really what you're used to. And it's like, oh yeah, uh, for this, you can do this, this and that. And then out of those four options, really it's like, well, you cannot really implement three of them because they are like designed for uh, farms that would be like uh, G around Calvin or that they would be a, a not being on pasture, et cetera. So it's kind of like the ability to kind of like, hey, thinking of your options and really trying to think what can you really apply on a system that is not the one that you're, used to so again it was really interesting but again it was also challenging particularly at the beginning to be able to uh, adapt quick enough absolutely now you talked about the dairy farm sizes in spain compared to the u.s how are they in australia compared to the u.s are they similar or are they smaller in australia it's really regional dependent so they have like very like the southern of australia particularly they are also relatively large there is probably not as large there are a few but i mean you can get like uh, farms that would be on the thousands at least but yeah they would also be like pasture and that's particularly in the south which is where the most of the milk is destination it's for milk uh, sorry for cheese production so it's very seasonal whereas on the more like central region of the country it's more um for like fluid milk so that will be like still like year-round calvings and those usually mean size will be 200 500 it really depends so definitely not as large as some of the largest dairies that we have here in michigan i see so let's talk about the research that you're doing at Michigan State. So according to your lab's website, where I got all this information, uh, your group focuses on strategies to improve host resilience in neonatal calves. And I'm probably not even going to get this word right. Uh, peri-part nutrients. 
nope, messed it up. You're going to have to fix that for me. <laughs> Dairy cattle. Can you break down, break that down for us and tell us what that means? Absolutely. Yeah, those are really like very like a lot of words for just saying really what we are uh, trying to look for. So both like the neonatal period and the periparturian period, so like the period around calving on the cows, those are like the periods of highest disease risk for the animals. And that's primarily because at those times their immune system is not working properly, either in the case of the calves, because they are just born and their immune system is developing, or in the in the case of the cows, because around that time of calving, there's a lot of like hormonal changes and things like that, that to some extent depress the immune system. Again, it's kind of like it's a physiological event, right? It's like that happens really to protect the fetus and everything, but that also has implications for uh, the cow. So really what we are looking at like for strategies to help support the immune system of those animals during those uh, periods of increased disease risk. So trying to uh, try to make their immune system work better. So that's like kind of like the overall theme, and that could be through like nutritional strategies, a lot of vaccinations programs, etc. So trying to really optimize the management with regards to how can we support the immunity of those animals at those times. Great. So I really think about it when it comes to you know similar the two humans, right? We're wanting to support mothers when they are pregnant, getting ready to have their babies, and then also support those newborn babies, you know, to make sure that we're setting them up for success in their life too. Yep, that's that's pretty much it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, so I know the goal is to enhance the immunity and resistance to infectious diseases. What sort of factors will let you know if you've achieved achieved that goal? Yeah, I mean that's a critical uh, critical point. The final really outcome is to really observe a decrease on the number of animals that get sick. So that's really the. Uh, ultimate outcome. Obviously, we as a researcher have to take many other measurements to support that that actually happened because of what we did. So we also like look a lot of and like and that involves a lot of like in most cases like blood samples. So collecting samples to really assess the immune response. So really see and we have like many uh, like laboratory techniques that will help us assess whether the immune response, whether those immune cells or other immune factors are working better. So kind of like then it's kind of like then putting like all the pieces of the puzzle together. Like if we do this and we see a better immune response and then as a consequence of that, are we getting less animals getting sick on farms. So the overall outcome is really obviously is like improved health and product and productivity of uh, those animals and their well-being. But for us, for research, we kind of have to take some or measure other steps in between to show the mechanistic pathway and that it does not did not have by random. Right, right. So I know that sometimes there can be um, a lot of concerns among uh, among consumers when it comes to vaccines or um, you know vaccinations, specifically when it comes to dairy management. What can you tell us about how you utilize those vaccines and why they're safe to use? Yeah, no, that, I mean, we utilize those vaccines. We're trying to. Uh, 
vaccinate again the animals so that they have like the same thing that happens with humans so that i have immunity before they are going to be exposed or potentially exposed to some of those uh, infectious disease agents and they're basically like safe because for a vaccine to get into the market then they need to be licensed by the usda so they need to go through a very comprehensive licensing process and uh, so that no vaccine is going to get into the market if it harms the animal or if it harms the product that then we as consumers are going to it. So those things really are taken into account. And now, uh, in in the last years, I cannot really remember when it really started, but even like the USDA, which is who regulates vaccines for animals, uh, has made it uh, so the manufacturers need to publicized and they are on the database of the USDA, all the data regarding of the safety and efficacy studies that they did to um, license that particular vaccine. So that information is readily available to anyone that can go and look at it. So they do go through a very thorough betting process before they get to the market and and before we as veterinarians or producers can use it on animals so yeah they are definitely safe to use because otherwise they wouldn't make it to the market absolutely and those same processes are in place as well for antibiotics use and things like that when they're treating cattle as well so absolutely so yeah like the same thing with like drugs and particularly with any really any drug that gets yeah, use for food items. It's a different age. It's a different government agency that will be the FDA, but they have the same uh, rules and the same criteria. And even for again, animals get sick. The same thing that humans uh, do. So if we get sick, we might get prescribed an antibiotic. The same happened with cows if they get sick. And during that time, will they get antibiotics? that milk get, gets dumped. It does not go into food production and really what dictates for how, so the, the manufacturers, when they're trying to license those products, they also need to provide the studies to say for how long we will, the producer would need to um, dump that milk. It's like, how long does it take for uh, that milk to not have any residues of that antimicrobial or any other uh, drug that we might need to use on, on a sick animal. So if that happens, there's already, as part of the, like the licensing process, there's already when they would determine how long it takes for that antimicrobial to be clear out of the system before mm-hmm. an animal can start to produce any product, again, that could go into the food chain and be used for human consumption. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. So what's the potential impact that your research can have on dairy farmers here in Michigan? Well, impact is always difficult to to measure, right? I think that some of the, if we are successful with our strategies and we're trying to like reduce like the incidence of really important diseases, particularly in calves, like respiratory disease in calves really uh, right now, it affects almost 20% 20% of calves. So it's a really high, I mean, you think about it like the same as, as kid, how many people have had kids that have never had like the, a cold or a flu. So it's basically like the same, but again, it's uh, really problematic for calves. And we know now that it has lifelong term implications for how much 
milk they're going to uh, produce when they uh, start lactating and producing uh, milk. So is a disease that apart from like the well-being implications of the animal has long-term effects. So if we are able to, through optimization of their immune system, make those animals more resistant to the disease and we can decrease the number of animals that get sick, that has that would have a positive impact not only right now on their farms because they're they're going to have like less calves getting sick by but also in the long term because those calves would get to be more productive animals later on in life that's great and that's the bottom line right is always making making them more productive and be able to produce as much as they can <laughs> So in addition to your research at MSU, you are also the dairy extension veterinarian for MSU Extension. What do you do in that role? Yeah, so that's another of the uh, hats that I wear and I actually like uh, love it. I I would ha- I would start by like saying when I came to MSU, really, I did not have a good understanding of what extension was. And that's basically because we don't have that back in Europe. So that's something that is like unique to um, particularly land-grant universities. And I think that's something like extremely important. So extension is basically the outreach arm of the university. So that's basically what ensures that, for example, what happens in my lab and the findings that we find and the same for other people gets... Uh, gets back to the producer so that that information gets feedback and then it's not just oh they found this and then it just gets published on a paper that only scientists read it's, it's about like translating and bringing back all that research back into the field and into practical applications so i think that that's critical because otherwise like the whole system fails so it's like the way of really ensuring that what happens in a university and other universities gets and gets transmitted and has an impact on uh, the field. So in terms of like my particular role, really as a multifaceted role. So first of all, I'm part of like the dairy extension team. So we really support producers and for, in things like training their personnel. So we, we not only can like translate that I'm as the veterinarian work mainly with other veterinarians with having like that outreach arm. And I mean, that has an amplifying effect because obviously one veterinarian will go to like many farms, right? So it's it ends up having like a trickle down effect on how many farms you can you can reach if you are able to convince a veterinarian that they should change a practice because of new evidence that has uh, come out. So some that their extension, but I really work primarily with veterinarians. But again, I'm part of like a broader team of field educators and specialists that we really are here to support their industry. And sometimes there are things like some like farm might have a problem and might reach out to see that. So we help them in collaboration with the veterinarians and other uh, consultants that might be involved trying to like troubleshoot that. And also that part of like training that I particularly right now, one of the projects on extension that I have, I'm uh, running um, training program for, let's call it junior vets, like veterinarians that have graduated in the last five years. So this is like combined effort with Cornell University, but we've been training like about 20 veterinarians a year through like this program. It's a combination of online education and hands-on, which is meant to give them more skills and train them better after they graduated to, uh, again, to work in practice and service their farms or their clients uh, better. So those are examples of things that 
we do. And again, I want to like highlight the potential of like the amplifying effect that the work on extension really has. Yeah, Extension is such a great organization and they're playing such an important role in Michigan agriculture and helping, like you said, kind of translate that into consumers so they can better understand. So what advice would you give, like you said, you work with uh, new veterinarians and, and through Extension. So what advice would you give to a young person who's interested in veterinary medicine, whether that's large animal or small as a career? Yeah, I mean, I think that first of all, gain, and I think that is critical, gain, gain exposure to the profession, whether it's like shadow, shadowing a bed, trying to work on a farm if you're interested in that. So really try to see what the career is actually about. A lot of times I hate to say it, but there are like some misconceptions. It's a really uh, fulfilling work, but a lot of times it's not all uh as nice that it, it seems so it's very important that people are aware of that i mean i i love my job if i have to go back i'll study veterinary medicine again no doubt whatsoever but i think that's very important and, and and another factor tied to that is to keep an open mind and trying to explore different career options and trying to go where your passions take you when i Again, as I mentioned before, when I my focus when I started into vet school was to become a bovine vet, and I was going to go back to my town and be the local uh, bovine vet there and see where I am right now. I never, I never went to vet school thinking about doing research. Never thought about moving across different countries or uh, working in an university in the United States. So I never thought of that going into vet school. So again, just have an open mind, try to explore and just go down the path of the things that you're passionate about. Because then if you, I know that it's a cliche, but if you try to make your passion, your work, then coming to work every day is uh, not as bad. I agree a hundred percent. I love what I do. And so it's, it's never, uh, never hard to come into work every day. Uh, so one last question, if someone listening to our podcast wants to learn more about your research, where can they do that? Yeah, so for our my research, particularly our lab uh, has a website where we have like all the information and we post there all the publications and my graduate students always uh, have like some blog comments on their experiences as, as well. So the uh, URL is abuelolab.com. So I encourage everyone to go. Other interesting places to find information is obviously the MSU, their extension team website. So that's another interesting place where you can learn not only about my research, but about all the other cool things that the Dairy Extension uh, team is doing across campus and across the whole state. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Brelo, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about really this cutting edge research that you're doing for dairy cattle and the impact that it can have for farmers in Michigan. Well, thank you again for having me here. This is great. Absolutely. From research and innovation to technological advances, agriculture in Michigan is an ever-changing and progressing industry. Whether it's developing ways to make dairy cattle more resilient to disease or increase the capacity to produce more food to feed people, farmers are committed to providing high-quality food and products that you can be confident were grown with care. It's just the right thing to do. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again to discover more foods and products that are Michigan AF. 
The Michigan AF Podcast is a project of the Michigan Ag Council and the Michigan Grown, Michigan Great campaign. We are a coalition of farmers and agribusinesses committed to providing the best possible foods and products for our neighbors, communities, and the state we all love. To hear more podcasts and to learn about Michigan's agriculture diverse sector, visit michigangrown.org.